You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Those stories in just a moment. First, though, breaking news out of Delta, where a police officer and a woman have been stabbed. It happened just outside Immaculate Conception, a private elementary school. Our Catherine Urquhart is live at the scene for us right now. And Catherine, it sounds like this officer was just trying to help out when he was attacked. Mm -hmm. Well, that's right, Chris. Sophie, a heavy police presence continues here outside Immaculate Conception Elementary School in North Delta. It was about 3.05 this afternoon when that off-duty police officer was outside the school and noticed a man and a woman involved in some type of assault. That officer intervened and in the process he was stabbed as was the woman. Now moments later the school was placed on lockdown. Kids kept inside the gym and inside classrooms as a precaution. Now we can tell you that a suspect was arrested. A witness took photos of the man in handcuffs. Minutes later, that witness spoke to Global News. Here's what he told us. And as I walked in, I saw uh, a gentleman who was actually in handcuffs. And at that time, essentially, oh, I don't know, about uh, six uh, Delta police vehicles were showing up. You could see that they were quite clearly two women that were on the ground, but I didn't know exactly what the, the issue was. I knew that there was a lot of blood on the guy that they had under handcuffs and under questioning, but I didn't know what the situation was. Both the officer and the woman are believed to be in serious condition, but we have no details on their injuries. Now, also unclear if the injured woman and the person who was arrested have any connection whatsoever to the school. We will update you as we learn more information about this double stabbing outside Immaculate Conception Elementary School here in North Delta. Back to you. Hopefully some new details soon. All right, thanks for that. Catherine Urquhart reporting. Now, a growing health concern in Vancouver, a measles outbreak now affecting 36 students and staff at three French language schools. Our Sarah McDonald is live outside the Urgent Care Centre in downtown Vancouver with the latest on the outbreak and what health experts are saying about getting vaccinated. Sarah. Sophie, that's right. Clinics like the one behind me are seeing a spike in demand for vaccinations due to this latest outbreak. Health officials tonight once again urging anyone who can to get immunized to protect the most vulnerable among us. It's an entirely preventable, potentially deadly disease that modern-day medicine has largely eradicated in first-world countries. So how exactly did we get here? That's Max celebrating his first birthday on Tuesday. Serenaded by family through glass from behind the walls of his parents' Burnaby home, where he's been kept in isolation for nearly a week. He can't see any family. He can't see any friends. We can't either. To spend your child's first birthday in isolation is something I wish on no one. Max is among hundreds of children and high-risk patients, potentially exposed to the measles virus in hospital, where three unvaccinated siblings presented with symptoms on multiple occasions before receiving diagnoses. The vaccines are there for a reason. Which only came after students and staff at three francophone schools in Vancouver were also exposed to the highly contagious infectious disease. I was in a bus with uh, one of the kids who was exposed. My kids are vaccinated, so we weren't worried. But dozens of students who still aren't or 
can't provide documentation they ever were, are being told not to come to class at all. Vaccination registration typically not required when enrolling at schools in this province. Now, that could change. There are a whole bunch of parents who haven't immunized their kids, so utilizing the school system to get the immunization rate up may be something that uh, our government should consider. With nine confirmed cases of measles, eight of which trace back to those siblings who traveled overseas, public health officials are reporting a boost in demand for immunizations. There are currently 242 calls ahead of you. Which means long waits when it comes to booking appointments. If uh, parents are looking to get their children immunized, they can always go to their family physician, a walk-in clinic. For Max and his family, that's a visit that can't come soon enough. He's booked to be vaccinated early next week, as soon as his time in isolation is up. All right, well, a belated happy birthday to Max. Uh, Sarah, what about those who aren't sure if they're protected? Well, that is a question that health officials say they are hearing a lot of. They say this is a great time for everybody to get up to date when it comes to vaccinations. Now, the most vulnerable demographics when it comes to measles are obviously unvaccinated children like Max, but also adults born between 1970 and 1994 who may need a second dose of that uh, MMR vaccine to be fully immunized. Sophie, health officials say anybody unsure about their immunization status should get a booster. All right. Thanks for that. Sarah McDonald in Vancouver. Heartbreak for family and friends of a missing snowshoer today. Late this morning, rescue crews found the body of 39-year-old Remy Michalowski, the Surrey man swept away by an avalanche near Mount Seymour on Monday. Grace Key has more on today's recovery and a warning from rescuers about the dangers of the backcountry. It's the devastating news Lydia Majerski hoped and prayed would never come. Late morning, she was told her son's body had been found. Search and rescuers discovered 39-year-old Remy Mikulowski at the bottom of a valley. A search manager was on hand to break the horrible news. It's the worst thing for, for a mother to hear. Mikulowski and her friend had camped overnight when an avalanche hit on Monday near Runner Peak north of Mount Seymour. The friend was able to grab onto a tree and call for help. He was not hurt and rescuers were able to longline him out late Monday afternoon. Everybody here killed it. And they kept in correspondence with me, and they made this part as easy as it can be. On Tuesday, the search for Mikulowski was hampered due to bad weather. His mother never gave up hope that he was still alive. He's very resourceful. That's why I, I still believe in my heart, and I'm sure that he's still alive. Crews returned to the backcountry with the help of avalanche dogs Wednesday morning. A searcher eventually discovered the body buried more than a meter beneath the snow. We had dogs and we had uh, um, members uh, probing and, uh, and so on. And uh, they were fortunate to, to locate this subject because uh, it's, it's only a matter of, uh, of, of luck or the dogs finding a scent. Searchers say the pair triggered the avalanche when they went snowshoeing to the peak. The plan was to strike camp upon their return and head back home. North Shore Rescue reminding people the dangers of the backcountry. It's so outrageously dangerous up in the mountains. It's just hard to comprehend. Grace Key, Global News. 
Vancouver police are investigating an alleged flashing at York House School. It happened on Tuesday. VPD say they received a call, a report rather, that a man in a black Mercedes SUV pulled alongside a teenage girl near West 33rd and Marguerite Street. When he pulled down the window, he allegedly exposed himself to the teen. Officers met with the teen minutes later while additional resources patrolled the area, but the suspect was not located. Today we've increased our patrols in the area around uh, certain particular schools. We're working with our school liaison officers uh, and other uh, investigative units and we are currently canvassing for witnesses and uh, video as well in the area. So this investigation uh, remains ongoing and is active. Kamloops RCMP need your help locating two men wanted for murder. Gordon Wayne Bratton and Hugh Alexander McIntosh are both wanted for the February 15th murder of Jason Glover at an apartment on Tranquil Road. Police say both men are known to them and involved in the drug trade. They're considered armed and dangerous, so if you see them, call 911 immediately. Also tonight, a second arrest has been made in connection with a robbery and kidnapping back on February 14th that spanned from Kamloops to Kelowna. 36-year-old Michael James Matheson was arrested this morning and is now charged with robbery and forcible confinement and firearms offenses. The arrest follows the apprehension of Justin Daniels in Kelowna last week in connection with the same incident. Convicted child killer Alan Schoenborn won't be getting any additional freedoms. The BC Review Board ruling Schoenborn remains a significant threat and has denied his request for mandatory outings. His current conditions remain in place. He will continue to have to ask for permission to leave the grounds of the Forensic Psychiatric Hospital in Coquitlam. Schoenborn has been there since being found not criminally responsible for killing his three young children in Merritt in 2008. In Victoria today, the opposition dominating the first post-budget question period, taking aim at the rising carbon tax and how it's going to be used. Keith Baldry breaks down where all that money will go and what else in the NDP's 2019 budget the Liberals are taking aim at. A day after the tabling of the budget, the opposition began its attack on it, starting with the increase to the carbon tax. When the carbon tax was first introduced, the NDP strongly opposed it. Carbon tax revenues have become significant, with $5.8 billion expected to be collected over the next three years. $900 million is earmarked for green initiatives as part of the new Clean BC Energy Plan. But the vast majority of the money, almost $5 billion, goes to general revenue. Why is the government not using the vast majority of the increased carbon tax to actually reduce GHG emissions to innovate but instead, they're dumping it into general revenue. We, in fact, are increasing the carbon credit to $400 for a family of four. By 2021, the carbon credit is going to be 70% higher than it was when that government put the carbon credit. Today's second avenue of attack was on the housing crisis and the slowdown of construction in that sector. The NDP budget's own stats show an expected decline in housing starts over the next three years, starting with a steep 16.7% drop in 2019, followed by a 6.4% decline in 2020, and a further fall of 4.2% in 2021, for a total decline of more than 27% over the next three years. Can the minister explain how 50,000 fewer housing units are supposed to help housing affordability? 
In Vancouver, the number of housing starts remains 21.3% above the 10-year average. And what kinds of investments are we making in housing, Honourable Speaker? We're making the largest investment in affordable housing in BC's history. $7 billion over 10 years. Quite a bit of yelling there today. <laughs> Keith Baldry joins us now with more on some of the less talked about budget nuggets, we're calling them. Keith, what did you find? Yeah, you know, you take a look at the budget. There's all sorts of numbers in here, folks, everything on all sorts of areas of the economy. I picked out a number, though, that some of which didn't get a lot of attention, I think, in a lot of coverage. First of all, uh, there's a special contingency fund for the public sector union negotiations that are wrapping up. And in March 31st, $550 million is in there for next year, $3.6 billion in all over three years as those unions get two, two and two settlements. Also, some uh, picked up on this. Uh, there's a modest increase for foster parents. First one in more than a decade, $179 a month will be given to foster parents. It's a part of an expansion of the definition of, uh, of what actually constitutes a foster parent as well. $1.5 billion, a huge amount of money, is actually unallocated in this budget. We're looking at the contingency fund, the forecast allowance, and the surplus. Uh, Carol James has a lot of elbow room to maneuver here, $3.8 billion over three years. And finally, this one may get some attention in the days ahead. She has $375 million to spend for before the end of the fiscal year. That's a portion of the of the surplus that her uh, budget ran up in the current fiscal year of $1.3 billion. So the NDP government awash in money right now, awash in cash, and look for some more spending announcements to occur between now and March 31st. Will do. All right. Thanks, Keith. It's spectacular. Okay. Construction of a new purpose-built rental tower got underway in Vancouver's West End today. The first building of its kind under the city's new neighborhood plan. And while it will come as good news for renters in a city with one of the lowest vacancy rates in the country, Nadia Stewart explains why not everyone is celebrating. Pet-friendly and purpose-built for renters, 1500 Robson will soon be the new kid on the block in the West End. By increasing the supply and diversity of housing in highly desirable, family-friendly, transit-connected neighborhoods, we are taking a step in the right direction and moving towards making a city that works for everyone. These 128 market rental units won't be ready until early 2021. It's all part of the city's new West End community plan, which includes a focus on increasing rental density. Upzoning in this part of town means there will be more developments like it to come just across the street from this groundbreaking. It's closing day for one of the West End's staple businesses. The two-story building Chocolate Moose has called home for more than three decades sold for over $75 million. The city needs to stop talking about it and stop studying it. They have enough information. They need to address it. Sending property taxes soaring, even higher than their rent. Tenant says growth in this city needs to be better managed. It needs to be little stores and big stores and big new high-rises. It needs to be a community of everything meshing together. It can't be all new. But as the neighborhood plan rolls out, there will be a lot that's new. We really wanted Chocolate Moose to, to be able to survive and thrive in, in the area. Creating unintended challenges for businesses trying to survive in the years between the present and the future. If the zoning and the speculation have, have come to your property, there's almost, there's almost nothing that can be done. Once those wheels are in motion, it's really hard to turn them back. And, and for many in the West End, we wanted revitalization. It's, it's working with the city and the province to smooth out the transition. The long transition. 
Regan says businesses and the community will be better off on the other side, even if getting there isn't always easy. Nadia Stork, Global News. We've got some breaking news coming to us from Alberta, where a huge pileup involving as many as 40 vehicles has closed the Trans-Canada Highway near Canmore. Global's Blake Law is live near the site of the accident. Blake, what do we know at this point? Well, Sophie, I'm standing right in the middle of the Trans-Canada Highway. Just further down west is Canmore. Uh, completely impassable at this point. We are seeing some vehicles coming out eastbound. That's good news as it means emergency crews have been able to clear some of the wreckage, but these drivers here, not so lucky. They're being diverted uh, by police to use an uh, alternative route to get to the mountains, but it is uh, or was an absolutely treacherous scene uh, further down the highway, as you mentioned, up to 40 vehicles either colliding into one another or taking the ditch, leaving many drivers stranded. Uh, police say that uh, eight people uh, were injured in crashes, three of them children, uh, all of them needing to be transported to hospital, fortunately in stable, non-life-threatening condition, but just another uh, very vivid reminder of how uh, intense winter driving in the mountains can get. Uh, RCMP described it as a perfect storm of conditions leading to these crashes. Back to you. And definitely looks uh, treacherous out there. Blake, thank you, and be safe out there. Blake Law reporting for us on Highway 1 near Canmore. All right, now out here to the West Coast, thoughts of surfing may not leap to mind at this time of year, but for a group of Olympic hopefuls, it's all they can think about. Tofino has been taken over by athletes hoping for a shot at glory in Tokyo. 2020 is the first year surfing will be an Olympic sport, and they don't have the luxury of waiting for summer to train. Kylie Stanton reports. It's a backyard that's almost impossible to resist where there's more than just the ocean's current pulling you into the waves. The first time I tried it, I was just instantly crazy about it. Tofino is the only spot in the country where you can suit up to ride the waves year-round. And for decades, surfers have been doing it in relative obscurity. But for a talented few, that could soon change, as surfing makes its Olympic debut at the 2020 Tokyo Games. Japan decided that they wanted it, and in just over 500 days, you know, the, the eyes of the world are going to be on, you know, surfing. And so the training begins for something that wasn't even on the radar until now. I didn't think the Olympics would ever be a thing. There was never even like a dream. It would be unreal. To even have like a sliver of hope is a pretty amazing thing. But the road to get there won't be an easy one. Surfers will have to compete in a national event this May to qualify for the World Championships. It will be that performance that could earn them a spot on the Olympic team. And despite what people may think, the talent pool among Canadians, especially including those living abroad, is huge. I try not to look too far ahead, but at the same time it's pretty impossible not to, to visualize that coming true and to think that I could put a maple leaf on my chest and go do it would be pretty amazing. Whatever the outcome individually, it will be a win for the sport. A chance to showcase it on the world stage, proving it can be done and done well here in Canada. Like the level of sport in surfing now has come up so much and the level of athleticism too. Um, so it's definitely put it on the map for sure. And that will only help promote the future of the program, where surfers, no matter how little, 
can have those big Olympic dreams. 2024 is just around the corner and if we can, you know, start carving that pathway for the younger generation, then we've already succeeded. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Tofino. The SNC-Lavalin scandal dominating the debate in Ottawa today with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau being grilled in the House of Commons. The Liberals used their majority to defeat an opposition motion calling for a public inquiry into the controversy. The government insisting the process is underway now will suffice. I think we have a number of things going on. There's the Ethics Commissioner who is uh, doing an investigation into this issue. The Parliamentary Committee uh, is seized with it. We'll be hearing from her. We'll be hearing from experts. We'll be hearing from a range of people. Uh, it'll make the determination as to who it needs to hear from. But I think uh, it is important that there be a, an airing on this situation. The Justice Committee is set to hear from Jody Wilson-Raybould about allegations the Prime Minister's office tried to get the former Attorney General to prevent SNC-Lavalin from facing prosecution on bribery charges. In the House of Commons, Wilson-Raybould made it clear that she wants to tell her story. I have um, said that I am seeking counsel on this matter of what I can and cannot say. I understand fully that Canadians want to know the truth and want transparency. Privilege and confidentiality are not mine to waive, and I hope that I have the opportunity to speak my truth. The Justice Committee is set to hear from Wilson-Raybould in the coming days. Prime Minister Trudeau is in Halifax tonight in support of the Syrian family that lost seven children in a house fire. Abdullah, he was four months old. Prime Minister joining hundreds of people in the city's main square, where the children's names and ages were read out, followed by a moment of silence. The victims ranged in age from four months to 15 years old. Both parents are in hospital, the father suffering life-threatening burns from trying to save his family. A GoFundMe campaign has raised more than $300,000 for the family, who fled Syria to Canada two years ago. Officials won't speculate on the cause of the fire, but an imam who spoke to the mother says it started near a couch downstairs. The father tried to put it out, then tried to save his children before they were both forced out by the smoke and flames. A shocking story out of Washington, D.C. today, where a U.S. Coast Guard lieutenant has been arrested for allegedly plotting a massive domestic terror attack targeting several Democratic politicians and prominent media personalities. Authorities say self-proclaimed white nationalist Christopher Paul Hassan stockpiled weapons and wanted to, quote, murder innocent civilians on a scale rarely seen in this country. They also say emails show Hassan wondered how he might be able to acquire anthrax or toxins to create botulism or influenza in order to kill as many people as possible. Anticipation is extreme in Washington, D.C., with Robert Mueller expected to release his report into election interference within a week. But even when his report is complete, there's a chance we will see very little of it, because as Pete Williams reports, the decision to release it will be totally up to the new U.S. Attorney General. Which say... Rare words of praise tonight from President Trump for the new man in charge of the Justice Department, saying the decision of what to make public from Robert Mueller's report will be up to Attorney General William Barr. He's a tremendous man, a tremendous uh, person who 
really respects this country and respects the Justice Department. So that'll be totally up to him. Several government officials say Mueller's work is nearly done and he'll likely present his report to Barr in the next week or so. Federal rules say that report is confidential. They say nothing about sending it to Congress or making it public. At his confirmation hearing, Barr said he's committed to releasing as much as possible, but he suggested it could be his summary, not Mueller's document. The special counsel report is confidential. And the report that that goes public would be a report by the attorney general. But members of Congress demanded more, including some Republicans. The only way I know for the taxpayers to hold anybody that spends the taxpayers' money uh, responsibly is uh, through transparency, because that brings accountability. Even so, it's clear it won't be something like the Starr Report, publicly released in 1998 on the Clinton scandal. But many legal experts say just because Mueller is about done, the investigating doesn't stop. Pieces of this investigation will continue in federal prosecutors' offices around the country, including in Manhattan. Yet another shocking twist tonight in the story of that attack on actor Jussie Smollett. Chicago police say the Empire star has now been indicted for filing a false police report. Late last month, Smollett told police he was attacked by two masked men while walking home, claiming they beat him, they hurled racist and homophobic insults at him, and looped a rope around his neck before fleeing. Well, police questioned two men who were initially deemed suspects, but then said information from the two had shifted the investigation. Detectives today presented the case against the actor to a grand jury, and he has now been indicted. Tourists and photographers are flocking to Yosemite National Park in California to see a spectacular phenomenon that only happens in late February. I think one of the most exciting experiences I ever had... It's known as the Firefall, the setting sun giving the famous Horsetail Falls on El Capitan a stunning orange glow, making it look more like lava than water. Hundreds of people make the pilgrimage every day at dusk, some coming back time and time again, saying the Firefall always looks different. The phenomenon only lasts for about five to ten minutes and will only be visible for another week, depending on the weather. In Health Matters tonight, a warning for Canadian parents about a potentially deadly car seat for sale online. The car seat was on the Walmart website, priced at just $28.99, but it turns out the seat is a flimsy cloth product that in no way meets Canadian safety standards. A crash test of this type of car seat showed it provides virtually no protection for children. We did file just, you know, a little email comment to say, you know, this isn't a safe product and to take it down. Um, But we didn't hear back. And also we did file a report with Health Canada and Transport Canada to let them make sure that they were aware as well. Walmart now says it's removed the car seat from its website and is working to notify people who bought it and tell them not to use it. The company says consumers will get a full refund. Burnaby firefighters are going above and beyond to raise money for the fight against lung disease. The firefighters will don 35 kilograms of gear and climb 48 stories of stairs in the annual Climb the Wall event at the Wall Center this Sunday. This year they're doing it in honor of one of their captains, Ken Kinney, who's battling occupational lung cancer. One of our own is fighting, so we want to fight alongside with him. Uh, you know, Ken's a really important part, important team member of our department, and 
he's a guy that uh, unfortunately, you know, his, his lung cancer has been directly job related, so that affects us all. And uh, we all do everything as a team here at work, so we figure we got to make a strong team out in the community as well. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A routine traffic stop nearly ends in tragedy for a Nevada trooper. Take a look right after the forecast. And just before we throw to Christy, some advice for weather reporters everywhere out of Virginia. <laughs> WCAV reporter Laura Perot learned the hard way. Be careful where you're standing for your live report, especially if they are plowing roads. Oops. <laughs> guy was flying. Yeah. She looked okay, though. She's laughing. I think she was Yeah. Have you ever run into that when you're driving? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and all of a sudden you wonder what has hit you and yeah. you can't see anything. Oh, it's it's loud, too, isn't it's it? It's loud, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of snow and plowing, let's just have a quick look back at our February numbers. I know it's not over yet, but just to give you a perspective of where we're at so far with this snowfall, for some reason I'm clicking and nothing's happening. There we go. So days with snow, average for the month of February is two. We've already had nine days with snow at the airport, and the snow amount average would be only six point three centimeters and so far we've had 31.2 centimeters so we're doing well so far February still entrenched in this arctic air mass and I'm still not expecting us to come out of it uh, until the end of February so it could be an entire month of this despite that what a day it was uh, fresh snow in hope but blue sky it was a sensational one and lucky for you we've got another one on the way quick look at our highs for today sixes and sevens Average for this time of year, though, is 8, 9 degrees. So we're still below seasonal, as we have been since February 2nd. This is your day tomorrow. Sunshine mainly throughout the day with a high of 5 degrees. Late in the day, we may see a little bit more cloud. And the reason, yes, another system is about to push in. So move down from the north throughout the day, hitting northern sections in the morning, and then shifting into the south coast, our region, by Friday morning. So I really am urging people to tune back in tomorrow. That's when we'll have a better idea of what this entails. Usually when we have a system come in from the north, there's not as much moisture in there, but I don't want to get your hopes up. Temperatures are going to be cold enough. It's going to be in the morning, and it could affect your morning commute. So tune back in tomorrow. You're going to need to. There's a snowfall across the north, so uh, 5 to 10 centimeters here. We're only talking about a couple centimeters in Terrace and Smithers. Areas across the south, though, sunshine. Except for those of you in West Kootenai, a chance of flurries in the morning. Otherwise, another nice day here across the south coast before the snow or a mix of rain and snow pushes in. So that's what we're going to be refining on Thursday. Still a chance of flurries or showers on Saturday, but it looks like we're back to sunshine on Sunday. And I'll leave you with a shot of a northern B.C. owl. And apparently this was spotted in Pitt Meadows. And they normally don't travel too far from the north. But I guess because of how cold it's been, they're now making their way further south. It looks like it's posing, like trying to get Hello. a little blue steel. Yep. Oh, a little blue Par steel, a little magnum going on there. Apparently this owl is not um, nocturnal. It's one of the few. Huh. Mm -hmm. well, thank you very much, Christy. Well, caught on a Nevada Highway Patrol dash cam, the close call for a trooper during a routine traffic stop. No sooner had he left the driver with some parting advice, a suspected drunk driver came out of nowhere. Drive safe. 
The trooper managed to get out of the way and wasn't seriously hurt. And his cruiser took the worst of it. The first driver also escaped uninjured. The suspected DUI driver is facing several charges, including reckless driving and possession of firearm while intoxicated. Oh, nice. The panic in that moment. Do yeah. I jump on the roof of the car? Do I jump out in the Where road? Where do I go? Where do I go? Think quickly. Out we of the go, way. That's we, my call. Oh. That's right. Oh, no. I'll get that. Sorry, I'll get it. Can you reach it? Squire's oh. here with sports. Anyway, there we go. I You're a pen guy. You, got, you don't want to... I have to have the pen. It's like a talking stick. I won't know what to say unless my pen's in my hand. <laughs> okay, I got a Ryan Spooner joke. Go, oh, go, okay. go. Because you don't okay. see or hear a lot of Ryan Spooner jokes. Really good, really okay. good. Ready for this? Go. If he's, like, uh, working really hard during a game and he's really tired, you know what he could say? Stick a fork in me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Thank you, Justin, That's for the great. rim shot. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. When the Canucks traded Sam Gagne to Edmonton, they got back Ryan Spooner, the butt of Sophie's humor. The uh, classic player with potential that has never been quite reached. Started with Boston, then the Rangers, then the Oilers, now the Canucks. They could have stuck a fork at him at any point along the way. Right. He was also considered a skill guy, and tomorrow against Arizona, he'll get a chance to show his skills because it looks like they'll start him on the top line with Pedersen and Besser. This is the version of Ryan Spooner the Canucks hope they have. It is a break. Again, Spooner scores. But not enough of these moments has led teams and Spooner himself to question his NHL abilities. Kind of in the back of my own mind, uh, you kind of think, you know, am I still good enough to play in the league? But, um, you know, I just got to think uh, with a more positive mindset, and um, that's all I can do. So, Those confidence issues became really pronounced when the Rangers moved him to Edmonton in mid-November. And like most of the other Oilers, nothing good in Edmonton seemed to last very long. I think last season was probably my best season as a whole, and then um, for some reason this season uh, hasn't gone well for me. Um, it's in the past now, though. Um, it's a fresh start. And to make this fresh start with the Canucks work, what Ryan Spooner has to do is not overthink things. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that kind of go on in the back of my mind. Um, I find for me, though, when I just go out there and play um, and just try to have some fun, um, it's when I play best. It's kind of what I'm thinking about. If I, if I make a mistake or not, or if this happens or that happens, uh, then I don't play well. So I just got to go out there um, and just play. Blackhawks, Red Wings. Hawks, one of four teams, one point out of a wild card spot. The Canucks are one of those four as well. Oh, Jimmy Howard. Jimmy's down. And it's a goal for Artem Anisimov. And it's 1 0 for the Blackhawks. The Hawks win this game. They move into a wild card spot. Alex Dabrinkit, who's been one of their big scorers this year, 33rd goal of the year. But the biggest of all is that guy, Patrick Kane, for the 37th time this year, he scores. But Detroit, down 4-1, has now made it 4-3 in the third period. In many ways, it feels like George St. Pierre is already retired from the UFC, but apparently it will be made official tomorrow, calling it quits at the age of 38 after putting together one of the greatest careers in mixed martial arts history. And certainly, he is one of the most famous Canadian athletes in the world. We have not seen him fight since November of 2017, when he beat Michael Bisping for the medalweight title. Uh, that fight 
came after four years of not fighting at all. If this is truly the end, because fighters have a tendency to unretire, he leaves with a record of 26 and 2. There's truly something in the water that's good at UBC, and it's top-notch swimmers like Emily Overhold, who's right beside me now. It's been like that for years. The program has produced some of the best, and this year they are hosting the Canadian New Sports Swimming Championships at the Aquatic Centre. Canada's top intercollegiate swimmers will be making waves at the UBC Aquatic Centre this week, trying to drop anchor on a powerful T-Bird swim program that swept both the men's and women's championships three of the last four years. Different dynamics racing here at the national championships than a Commonwealth game or an Olympics. These kids are racing for points for their team. Explain the dynamics. I think that they learn to swim for each other, right? And I think that that actually helps them in the end game situation of an Olympics or a world championships, uh, Commonwealth Games kind of thing, because sometimes they put so much pressure on themselves or they feel the pressure that uh, they kind of paralyze themselves a little bit. But here they're doing it not just for themselves, but also for each other. And that is a piece of the puzzle that really allows them to maybe come up with a level of performance that they won't otherwise come up with. UBC has a strong history of not only delivering championships, 38 national titles and counting, but also developing some of the world's top swimmers. Emily Overholt helped Canada win a bronze medal in the 4x200 relay at the 2016 Summer Olympics. She also finished fifth in the 400-meter medley. T-Bird teammate Marcus Thormeyer was named Canada's Male Swimmer of the Year in 2018 and Aquatics Canada Male Athlete of the Year. Both swimmers still a year or two away from achieving peak performance levels. I think I'm just more focused, which is letting me see the improvements that I've seen over the past couple of years. Yeah, I think that right now I'm on a bit of an upward curve and I hope I can keep that going. We all like to train together and we're always racing in practice and I think that helps us a lot. We just really enjoy it and have fun together. Jay Janower, Global Sports. Those shots are awesome and you can't imagine how long our cameraman can hold his breath to get those shots. <laughs> incredible. And his camera is oh, waterproof too. Beautiful. That's an, yeah, that's an Olympic athlete himself. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your snow report for tonight. Cold Arctic air mass still bringing new snow to the local mountains. Cypress picked up five centimeters of new snow in the last 24 hours. Sasquatch, two. Revelstoke received four centimeters. Fernie, two. And Manny Park, a nice 10. Whitewater, one. Big White also picked up 10 centimeters fresh. Silver Star, six. And Sun Peaks, three. Kicking Horse picked up one centimeter. Mount Washington, two. And Powder King, a nice eight. Coming up on ET Canada, we break down the Chloe Tristan cheating scandal. And yes, what does it mean for the entire Kardashian-Jenner family? Plus, meet all the new castaways competing tonight on Survivor. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thank you very much, Carlos. Well, if you thought computer games couldn't possibly get any more amazing, UBC researchers say you ain't seen nothing yet. As Paul Johnson reports, they've developed a sort of crystal ball that takes gaming and potentially even 3D television to a whole new level. Forget the Wonder Wall. Behold the Wonder Ball. What you're seeing here is a spherical perspective corrected display using a technique called fish tank virtual reality. Translation, a high-res ball-shaped display that can project a 3D likeness of any image. It's the fruit of a years-long R&D project by UBC and the University of Saskatchewan. And on first glance, 
it's very impressive. There's a uh, globe here that's hollow that's got multiple projectors that are carefully calibrated to fill the screen. So you can walk around the screen and see the image. Oh, you got, hey, it. I got it. I got it. Watch its creators play a game of virtual ping pong. And you get a sense of the myriad uses this could be put to. Gaming, of course. But how about a new form of teleconferencing? There's applications for 3D design. Medical possibilities like training surgeons. Or even just enjoying lovely, vivid images in your home. Enjoy your favorite programs, black and white or color. Almost since the dawn of the electric age, humans have been inventing and perfecting ever better ways to transmit pictures. So no surprise our love of the image means the arrival of such intriguing technology like the spherical display which is mostly the result of integrating off-the-shelf products that the UBC engineers wrote special software for. <laughs> it's getting higher and higher. So how long until it's in your living room? Well, the current model still requires special glasses to orient the images. And then there's this. If you wanted to buy this today, uh, you're talking $20,000, $30,000. Considerably more than the latest 4K flat screen. But you know there's somebody dying to be the first one to have this. Paul Johnson, Global News. And newscast in there? Don't hey. know. But watching a football game or a hockey game? But where game? would you put it? In the middle of the room? And then you'd all Yeah, on the coffee it. table? Then you get up and you knock it over. <laughs> and there's no TV. That's problems. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Have a great night.